and a couple months ago I was asked to preach on Leviticus 25 this morning. I didn't realize all that would be going on, um, but I trust that God did. And I know that we are entering this space with just a lot on our minds, um, with probably pretty heavy hearts, um, with a sense of um, hopefully still hope, um, but also what do we do with everything that we are encountering on a daily basis? The um, advice to turn off your device is a helpful one because just the images in the videos and all the podcast <laughs> subjects and all just everything, it's a constant reminder. There's the reports, which on the one hand are helpful, and on the other hand, the statistics can feel so overwhelming because what do you do with numbers that large? Um, and then to top it all off, there's all the internal strife within our own country where people are reacting and responding in ways that are not helpful, to say the least, um, that are creating further clashes and further angst and anxiety. So I just want to speak that out loud because I know that that's where I am. I'm simultaneously like wanting to consume all the news and then wanting to just throw the phone away and not look at it because it's just so incredibly overwhelming. Um, and it's a hard time to come to a text like this one, like Leviticus 25, that talks about a year of jubilee in the land of the ancient Israelites, um, a land that has experienced conflict since the biblical times for generations and centuries, conflicts that are geopolitical in nature because it's always about power at the end of the day, and yet there are these really strong theological underpinnings. Um, it's a conflict that has been shaped very much also, at least internally in the way we're reacting to it, um, by the teachings that the church across the world and in the US maybe in particular has um, processed and, and uh, added layers to, um, to what's already there. So um, I do wanna say though that today's sermon is not going to be an assessment of current, the current political system or the current political conflict. Um, I do want us to wrestle with intention with some questions that have been asked. Um, I do want us to wrestle with what does it mean to claim a land um, that you believe God gave you um, after you were exiled from it? How, what does it mean to reclaim a land that has for centuries been inhabited by another people group? That's the question the UN is asking. Um, and what does it mean to follow God's teachings of taking care of one another, of the foreigner and the stranger among us? Who do we perceive the other to be? Um, so anyway, so today is not going to be a deep dive into the conflict. I want to name that. It's also not going to be a history lesson into what created the present day state of Israel. But I do want to draw that distinction that we will be talking about the ancient Israelites and not the current secular state of Israel. So I just want to be really clear with that. Um, because we've been um, inundated with images and videos, I also, in case you're feeling any kind of tension, there won't be any of that here. You're not suddenly gonna get like images of war or videos or there's no slides or anything. Just um, so in case that is something that you've been personally feeling overwhelmed by, just I don't want you to be waiting for that to drop. It's not gonna happen. Um, 
So I just want to name that also. Um, but we will talk about, you know, what, what does God want from us? How does he want us to respond in these moments? What did God ask of the ancient Israelites in terms of their relationship to the land, in terms of their relationship to those in their own community, to those outside of their community, and what can we learn from it? Um, scripture is not primarily a history book. That's just not its function. I know we want to use it that way because we're looking for answers sometimes, but it is um, a story of how God moves through humanity and how humanity has been shaped by God. So that will be our focus. Um, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what in a lot of full detail, and we're often left to fill in the blanks, but it does tell us the why, uh, because God loves creation, God loves humanity, and the how, that he's moving us towards greater love and liberation. Um, as a people of faith, we are called to let God's why and his how inform our why and our how. And that was true of the ancient Israelites, and it's true for us today. Um, although Leviticus 25, as, as you heard, reads a little bit like a list of rules, do this, don't do that, it's really a chapter about moving people towards liberation and justice. It was meant to guide the ancient Israelites towards a just and compassionate society. Um, now, it wasn't perfect in that people aren't perfect and God makes accommodations. Um, he does this is for us as well, where he meets us where we are and then asks us to do more, to continue to grow in love, um, to continue to grow towards something better and holier than what we see in front of us, um, and to move us towards liberation. Um, it's important when we face our, our daily struggles and then when we're reminded of the big world struggles that we don't get completely just um, like stuck in those things. Um, so I'm not saying ignore them or pretend they're not there or just become super, super optimistic, but rather to acknowledge those things, to acknowledge the injustices, to acknowledge the difficulties and to still try to see what is possible. I believe that that's why God gave the ancient Israelites the idea of a year of Jubilee. He wanted to remind them, and I think he reminds us, to be future-facing. The Leviticus 25 reads like a set of rules, but it's really a future-facing text. Um, the idea of Jubilee is future-facing, right? It's actually, the, so the 50th year is when things will be recalibrated. We don't tend to think in that kind of time length, right? We don't tend to think, what do I want my actions to result in in 50 years? That's just not how we tend to move. But God set up an entire system that was based on a generation and a half from now. That's the wisdom that God wants us to approach these issues with. And you see that often in, um, in um, um, sorry, I'm missing the word here, the, um, the uh, indigenous communities, their, their wisdom and often their teachings are around um, thinking ahead a generation and a half or, or longer. And that is what God is calling us to hear. Um, as we read the text and as we think about our own situations and in the situations in the world, God is asking us to zoom out. He wants us to figure out or to see, because he's going to show us, how do we create a just society for our kids and for their kids? 
a society guided by just laws that makes room for equitable relationships. Um, and we can turn that into a um, beautiful spiritual reality, but I don't think we can actually think through this and feel through this without talking about power, the very real power that exists in our world, because that's what God does. Because then what does he turn to? The land. Because he knows that power and money and clout reside in land. If you have ownership of land, you decide who gets the resources that the land produces. You decide who benefits from it. You decide where the resources go, who gets to flourish, and it's all tied to land. What does it look like for us to ensure equity in future generations? Leviticus 25 set up very specific systems in order to avoid generational inequity. Even though God gave the land equally to the different tribes, he knew that over time, people do what people do. We create hierarchies, we um, take advantage of each other, we um, get what we need to get for ourselves. And so he created a system for us to redistribute land. Um, and I'm, I'm not here to offer you policy solutions because that is not my area of expertise, but I do want us to kind of just think through what would that look like in our own spaces? What does it look like to redistribute land? What does it look like to have real conversations about reparations as an equalizer? What does it look like to keep an open mind about a universal basic income? What does it look like to truly pursue forgiveness of debt, student debt, medical debt? Um, I know for my own family, I was really moved by hearing the prayers of the people. Both of my parents are, are pretty ill, like progressive illnesses. And um, me and my dad, I was career military, and so he has medical coverage for life for him and my mom. And there have been times when they've both been in the ICU at the same time. And every time something like that happens, I think, oh my gosh, what would we do if we had to pay for that out of pocket? What would that have done to our family, not just to my parents, but to our family generationally? Like we would be paying that for beyond the foreseeable future, right? So what does it look like to create systems that don't do that to families and to communities? Um, and again, I don't, <laughs> Throwing out the big questions, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know exactly what that looks like policy-wise, but those are the kinds of questions that I believe God was posing to the ancient Israelites, and he was creating the beginning of a system to redistribute. Um, and these were course corrections, right? There are ways to address inequities that have already, in a sense, taken root, right? Because the things I just mentioned are the ways our systems are already set up. Um, and, we need to, again, think ahead a generation and a half. What are preemptive ways that we can be forward-facing and moving us towards liberation? So we need to look back at the systems that we're currently in and the havoc they've already caused, but we also need to look forward. Um, and I think there's just a really simple, um, what looks like a really simple verse. It's in verse 14, but also in verse 17, where God simply says, do not take advantage of each other. And there's beauty in that simplicity. 
because it's like, oh yeah, it, it just, it sits well, right? It's like, you're right, I shouldn't take advantage of other people. Um, and I'm a kind of a words person, so I actually looked it up because I was like, well, you know, is taking advantage of someone manipulation? Is it like, well, what about intent? And um, taking advantage of someone is to make an unfair demand on someone who cannot or will not resist to exploit or make unfair use of something or someone for your own benefit. We're just people, so that's what we do. Like I, um, I believe in the goodness of humanity and I feel like in a lot of ways we are hardwired to look out for ourselves. We want to take care of our own health and our own well-being. We want to take care of our families and it extends from there to whoever we consider to be the us, right? And that can look a lot of different ways for folks. But that's sometimes where we stop. Um, and even God knew the ancient Israelites would do this too. Like I mentioned, he spread out the land through the tribes of Israel. And he knew that even within that one people group that had gone through slavery in Egypt together and had seen all these miraculous signs and had been moved out to a new land, they too would start fighting with each other for land and wealth. And well, my neighbor has this and I don't have this. And maybe that tribe is actually not a better tribe. And may, you know, it, all those things, because that's, that's how humans operate. And God knew that. And so he continued to expand our, and he does it for us, continues to expand our thinking. So he says, well, here, I've told you that these are your people and I'm the creator of the world. And he continues to expand our circle. He continues to expand who, um, who the us is, who we are. You know, I am missing a page, my friends. Oh, no, I'm not. I turned it the wrong way. Um, so thank you for bearing with me because I'm like, I want to make sure I don't take us completely off track. I have a lot of thoughts, so I have to stay in my notes. Otherwise, I'm going to start telling. I will start offering policy suggestions. <laughs> And again, that is not my background. So I, I will be like, but you know what? If we just, and, and then we'll just, we'll be here all day. So I'm going to stick to my notes. Um, but I love that expansiveness. I love, I often talk about like the arc narrative of scripture because there are so many things in the Old Testament that honestly just kind of make you like, Oh, you know, even within Leviticus 25, we didn't read the entirety of it today just because it's so long. But, um, you know, even when God says, well, um, you know, uh, for the year of Jubilee, redeem the slaves, but not the slaves from other communities. Like, those can be slaves for life, and you can hand those down to your kids. Like, you read that, and you're like, like, I, what do you even say? What do you even say to that? And there are accommodations based on the culture at, in the time and so the way that I process scripture is I look at the longer arc. I look at the longer um, movement towards liberation within scripture. Um, and so I wanted to read a few of those f to myself and for all of you today. Um, some of them will sound really familiar, um, possibly some of them maybe not as much. Um, one that we hear a lot is um, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. That's an extension of the circle of the us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. That's from Romans 12. Um, John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one Strive for peace with everyone. That's from Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. 
Proverbs 22. There's just a few more. I just think they're important, so I'm going to read my list. Uh, <laughs> the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's from Psalm 145. And lastly, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In Leviticus 25, verse 17, God says, Do not take advantage of one another. Do not make unfair demands of other people who cannot or will not resist. Do not exploit or make unfair use of other people for your own benefit. Um, let's step back from the theoretical for a second. Um, when's the time you have felt taken advantage of? And whatever comes to mind is fine. You don't, you're not going to be asked to justify it. I believe you. If you felt taken advantage of, how do you wish that interaction had gone instead? How do you wish you had been treated? Can we do that to others? Whatever that came to mind that you just wish you had been treated, whether it was with just somebody hearing you out, um, respect, dignity, um, love, compassion, forgiveness, grace, um, I'm sure none of us were like, oh, I wish I'd been judged harder. You know, I wish somebody had really just told me what they thought. I wish somebody had pretended they knew what it was like to be in my shoes and then told me how I should have felt. Nobody wants that, right? We want to be heard. We want to feel loved. We want to be known and seen. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then God asks us, because this is his constant work in us, he asks us to go even deeper. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't want just a fair society. He wants a just society. He wants to move us towards liberation. And the pursuit of that means that everyone experiences liberation, not just those with money and power and clout, not just those who get to own the land and somehow finagle their way into owning even more, not folks who show up in places and decide there are no inhabitants, even though there are. Um, that is not how God has set it up for us to work. And this is what God is calling us to build. And I know I did not paint a crystal clear picture that you can now go out and do these three steps and build a just society, but that's just not how that works. It is about the daily decisions of not taking advantage of other people. And it's about taking that ethos of jubilee, of liberation, of redistribution, of equity, and applying it to everything you do. So whether that's a conversation you have in your own household or in the household of God within your church community, whether it's a conversation you have at work with a coworker, whether it's a conversation you overhear, right? Or a meeting where someone's clearly devaluing the contributions of somebody else. All of those are moments when we can move towards liberation, when we can make sure other folks are not being taken advantage of. Um, and then that obviously like branches back out into the way we vote and the way we move into these spaces. Like when there are major world conflicts, do we go to a synagogue and sit and listen? Don't offer solutions. Don't be the expert in the room and just listen. Do we listen to our, um, our neighbors who have just different lived experiences than we have. Um, 
if you are hearing a policy decision or a rule or a practice in, again, your workplace, your school, your kids' schools, and the only people who benefit are the majority group, chances are we are taking advantage of one another in those spaces. If the only stories we acknowledge as true are the ones that resonate with the majority's lived experiences, we are likely taking advantage of one another, either now or soon, because we will act and move through the world based on that narrative that we have in our mind. Are we listening to the experiences of those who have been historically marginalized? Um, and then viewing the world through, through that lens. I know for me, um, for a while, I was also um, doing some chaplaincy work at the San Francisco County Jail, and I was meeting with one, um, person in particular for over a period of years and um, hearing her story and hearing her experiences and just being present with her in, in the midst of, of that season of life, um, that informs how I hear and read and understand the incarceration system, not because I know it best and I know all the ins and outs, but because of someone else's lived experience. I believe her experience, I see her experience, and I then move and act through that. Are we listening to our neighbors? Are we listening to the families of color in our communities? Are we listening to the English learner families and how they're experiencing our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhood potlucks and the neighborhood listserv friends? Let's, how do we move in those spaces? Um, and we just, as we do that, as we, we listen, I would caution us the, the um, feeling that can creep up, we talked about judgment earlier. The other one is resentment. And we just, one of the things that happens when things become more equitable and we move towards liberation is sometimes resentment towards that equalizing force. So for instance, in Leviticus, one of the uh, stipulations that was that if someone is enslaved and is able to redeem themselves during the year of Jubilee, they should do that. If they can't, then their family group needs to do that for them. And we can look at that and be like, well, that's not fair. Like, why does one person have to pay and the other person doesn't? But that's, that's not the way <laughs> to think about it. But it's so easy. We, we have, especially I would say in this country, a sense of like what is considered fair. And fairness, fairness flies in the face of grace. And fairness does not get us to equity. Um, so that's a little bit of a side note, but it's, it's a feeling that can pop up for us as we hear conversations about redistributing things. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, yeah, and just, just look for that. Look for that feeling, because I think it's, it's a common one um, that I think we can all experience on, in different situations depending on our own location. Um, but however hard it gets, whether we're thinking about the big things or the little things, we must keep asking ourselves, what does righting the injustices of the past and creating future-facing liberation look like? What does a year of Jubilee look like? How can we make sure we don't take advantage of others? Um, how do we move into these spaces with that lens day in and day out. And I do think that that is our calling. Um, I do think that that is also our hope because as we get caught up in, um, 
and all the injustices, there's just so many. Like I initially was like listing out all these examples and I was like, oh my gosh, this list could go on forever. I mean, there's, there's, and, and I don't mean that in a flippant way because they're, they're important. It's just the reality of how overwhelming they can become. Um, and there is so much beauty to be discovered. There is so much hope out there that we can sow if we're willing to explore the possibilities that God sets in front of us. There are endless possibilities to seek liberation. There's endless possibilities to love our neighbors well, our partners well, our families well, our coworkers, our communities, um, our incarcerated neighbors, um, our neighbors around the world who are living in fear for their own lives and their children's lives. There are ways to build a just society that moves towards liberation. Um, and I think the big things are important. I think the policy shifts are extremely important. And I think the little things we do every day do add up. Um, and I think that can give us hope. I think that can give us hope that we don't just absorb all this news and all these images and all these videos and then just sit there stunned and overwhelmed and drained. Um, we shouldn't turn a blind eye on all that is happening and we can temper how much of that we consume and we can balance it out with all the ways that we are called to move towards liberation in our own spaces as well. Um, so I hope that we can feel that calling. I hope we can move into it. Um, I hope we can find ways, even today, how do we move towards that liberation? Um, it is our gift from God. It is our calling and it is our hope. Um, let me pray for us as, as we close. Lord, um, we thank you that you want our liberation and the liberation of all people. We thank you that you care about systems and you care about our hearts. We pray for that spirit of hope and liberation. Um, we pray that it would move through us, that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to all that is possible, to the hope that is in front of us, will not shine away from all the hard things. Lord, we ask that you would move um, through us today um, and through all of your creation. We pray especially for um, the areas of Israel and Gaza and all the people there, um, those facing violence and pain and anxiety and confusion and their loved ones all around the world who are waiting and hoping and praying. Lord, we hope and pray with them. We um, seek your liberation um, through the world, um, and we ask that you would be with all of us. We pray this in your name. Amen.